out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the singer and performer, Linda Lewis, who I spoke to very, well, quite recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. Um, the first time I came across Linda was when she was performing at an early Glastonbury Phil, um, festival, probably 1971, where um, this particular film features Terry Reid and then Linda Lewis appears and does some singing, backing vocals. It's an amazing moment and it also features Alan White on drums. But anyway, this is the interview, so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Linda, it's over to you. My mum was a really good singer and she was very ambitious and wanted to be famous and, you know, everything like that. And I don't think I ever had any kind of notion that I was going to go in that direction. But my mum sent me to stage school when I was three years old. And so I did um, lots of, you know, those old sort of... um, kitchen sink dramas when I was a little girl. I was always running about in the background somewhere as a little street urchin. And I went to this stage school called Peggy Farrell's School of 100 Wonderful Children, Mm. which I was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was was based in West Ham, which I was, you know, where where I come from, where I was born. Yes. Um... But it wasn't until around about 1960, because I remember saying to her, Mum, I want to retire, and I was about nine. <laughs> and and then I just went to normal school, convent school, and did all my, whatever, you know, your O-levels, and, and just was an ordinary school girl, until I started getting back into doing stuff for... Peggy O'Farrell, which was like the first thing I did when I was, I think I was, I think it was 1964 when you were born, but A Hard Day's Night. Yes. I did, I did that and I was, I was, um, I mean, they still show that, that clip of me. I'm, I'm like the only girl in the audience not, not screaming because I was trying to listen to the, to the music. But yeah. obviously I went on to meet them because I, I meet the Beatles because I recorded my fir- my first album, uh, Say No More. I recorded that in Apple and I recorded... Oh, no, I recorded that in Trident. What am I talking about? I recorded my second album, Lark, which is called a like, kind of iconic type album. That everyone goes, oh, Lark, you know, I was doing this and I was doing that and when that came out. And I did that at Apple Studios and it was lovely because I was just given free reign to do what, exactly what I wanted. Yes. And that was with my brothers. And it was uh, produced, co-produced by my then-husband, Jim Cregan, who, who you must have heard of. Yes, that's... I have, well, yes, I've... Uh, um, pardon? Oh. Have you heard of Jim Cregan? 
Jim Cregan, it rings a bell, but as you can tell, I'm slightly going, hmm, not completely. I would hate to say yes, and then someone goes, no, he doesn't. Okay, well, he did the amazing guitar solo on Come Up and See Me, Make Me Smile for the uh, Cockney Rebel. Oh, right, yes. It's... Uh, me, uh, me and, me and, it was me and Tina Charles and, um, oh, God, what's his name? I can't remember a name. I'm really my memory's gone a bit up the creek of, uh, lately. Um, she was uh, she was his girlfriend, you know, Courtney Rebel. Oh, guy. Steve Harley. Yeah, she was his girlfriend. So the three of us, we did the BVs for Come and See Me. Right, that's that's kind of interesting because because uh, yeah, you were... and, they, and they featured it on some ads um, in recent years, and we had to fight like hell to get our share because they, they he didn't want to give up any of his his royalties so we had to we had to like go to court and all kinds of things oh god but anyway we won't, we won't mention that no my god no but um because you'd be but in the 60s did you also have a you were in a band with junior melvin called white rabbit was this 67 yeah. So you'd done so my that? First, my first band was called The Q Set, and that was kind of like um, a bit kind of Blue Beach Scar kind of thing. When I was still at school, I used to go to the do all these late-night clubs and then go to school the next morning and fall asleep on my desk <laughs> and get told off about it. But um, then I that's how I met junior because he was in one of the groups and me and him we um formed a, a band called white rabbit yeah that's right right blimey junior marvin that's that's incredible yeah. so did you become part of a bit of a hippie alternative scene in the early 70s for you to suddenly appear at the you know the glastonbury festival guesting with you know terry you know reed obviously and david lindley yeah, no, oh yeah, I was, I was like, I lived, as soon as I left home, as soon as I was 17, I left home as soon as possible, because I just wanted to get out of that environment, there was always people rowing and fighting and things like that, so I managed to meet a guy called Ian Samwell, who produced, who wrote and produced uh, Small Faces, What You Gonna Do About It? Right. So he was the one that was, he was like my mentor. He was the one that kind of discovered me and and took me to see uh, an awful, an awful bloke called Don Arden, who was Sharon Osbourne's dad. And he had, you know, I mean, he scared the living daylights out of me, but he made me change my image, change my name. I couldn't have my... My name, Linda Fredericks, which I was born with. Yes. And he said, you've got to change your name. So I changed it into a, a, a... It sounded like a girl who was like super Superman's girlfriend, L- Linda Lewis. It sounded it sounded like... And also I liked a, a woman who sang at, at, the, at the time called Barbara Lewis. And she did a fantastic song called Hello Stranger, didn't she? I do yeah, believe. Hello yes. Stranger. God, that's beautiful. 
one of yeah. our favourites. Yes. So what was it like suddenly and how did you manage to find yourself at the Glastonbury Festival kind of suddenly coming on to rock out with Terry at this stage? Um, well, as I said, I lived in a co- commune with, like, there was Ian Samuel, there was this very famous DJ called uh, Jeff Dexter. Oh, yes. He used to put on shows at the Roundhouse, and and there were lots of other people coming in and out. Mark, Mark Bolland used to come in out, David Bowie used to come in out, Elton John, all before they were, like, hit any kind of fame or anything. And just one day, one, someone said, oh, there's this, um, there's this kind of festival going on at, at, at um, a farm down in Glastonbury. Do you, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, why not? Yeah, I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't signed to anybody. No. Um, so I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. And, I, and had I met Terry before that? No, I hadn't met Terry before that. No, but I'd met David before that because I'd sang on A Lad Insane. I used to do BVs for lots of people. I did did BVs for um for like Manfred Man when it was called Manfred Man's Chapter Three. Yes. Uh, um, I just it was just something that I fell into when I left school. It was like I was supposed to go and get um an interview to be some kind of secretary or something, and then all of a sudden someone said, "Oh no, do you want to come on the road with?" With uh, a group called, it was actually a group called Ferris Wheel. Right, yes. And that that that's actually how I met Junior. He 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 was he was standing in for someone at, at the time, and me and him got on really well together, and we liked the same sort of stuff, and we wanted him not just do soul because these these groups were just doing soul, which yeah. was great. I love soul. I mean, you know, very influenced by soul but I, I was also influenced by like all the west coast sounds as well you know um jefferson airplane and people like that and that's where that that name came from i think white rabbit because she did a song i think she did a song called white rabbit okay yes but i also love love the you know the the stories behind it alice in wonderland and all the, all the fairy tales and stuff Yes. That's you, how he and I got together. Yes. And did you, were you quite drawn to that alternative culture at the time? You know, the, I mean, this was kind of post-60s kind of love, you know, the summer of love and Woodstock. But, you know, obviously there was still a bit of a hangover from from that because David was still looking a bit like a hippie in the early 70s. And Yeah. So did you, were yeah, you? I was, but I, yeah, I was really drawn to it. And, and in fact, I had to talk the guys in Ferris wheel into doing sort of numbers that weren't just soul, but we, because we used to go up, up north to do, oh, and this very famous club up north, which, the Twisted Wheel. Right. That's what it's called. We used to do the Twisted Wheel and then come back down to London and do, um, a, you know, we'd do two clubs a night every weekend. Yes. So, um, and I was, yeah, I think I was lit, lit by then. I was living with Sammy. I'd moved, I'd moved out my my home, and um, at my mum, my mum's house. And so she didn't sort of agree with everything I was doing, but she liked the fact that I was 
um, pointing my way to the direction she would have liked to have gone when she was younger. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And what's your memory of that Glastonbury day or weekend with... Not, not a lot. <laughs> I was too high. Everybody you... was taking loads and loads of drugs and I really... I mean, I remember someone coming up to me and, and patting me on the shoulder and I looked around and, and I said, yeah, and they went, you're on. Because I actually had a, a, a an actual spot at Glastonbury as well. Right. Not just with Terry Reid. And they went, you're on. And I, and I said, what do you mean I'm on? They said, you're on stage in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. And I think I'd only just started like writing songs on my guitar as well by then so I'd got my guitar with me and I think I knew about three chords um but I went on and did my spot but they didn't actually film that part no. maybe that's a good thing <laughs> well I guess I guess in those days film stock was quite rare and probably very expensive whereas now it'd be different but then it's fantastic that unfortunately David's set isn't captured which isn't surprising it was probably three in the morning but your bit with Terry has become such an iconic moment that um it's yeah. kind of it's kind of now in folklore which is the power of um uh, about I don't know about an eight minute film really hasn't it, it kind of um yeah. it can I mean, we probably said beforehand. I probably sort of said, "Oh, I'll I'll come on and 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 do a little bit in the middle of a of a song." And um, I think you can tell by the look of me that I was kind of a bit cautious about going on. Mm. But then when I got on, I couldn't stop singing, and I just kept going and going and going and going and going and going. And I went so high, I was going higher and higher and higher. And I think Terry was trying to end the song, and I just <laughs> wouldn't have it. Yes. I, I, and, and, and I have been in touch with him, like, um, you know, since then, and said, oh, well, we must one day, like, do a proper version of that song, like a rehearsed version, not one that, that we don't know what the hell we're all doing. But it, it, it was... It was so magical at the time. It was really, really magical. Yes, it was absolutely. That's what it felt like. It it, it, it appeared magical. magical. And what and what was I mean at that stage? David was only just really starting his career. My God, he was well. He'd had his sixties period, but um, he just met Angie and Tony DeFries. What was what was he like to be with at that stage? Because obviously Ziggy hadn't quite happened. Yeah. Oh no, he was lovely, and uh, Angie does. If, you, if you've got her book, she does actually mention me in it, but I don't remember meeting her at all. And, uh, you know, as um, David says in the thing, he says, and that night before I went on, I spent all night taking mushrooms with Terry Reid and Linda Lewis. And it was like, really? <laughs> I can't remember that. Yes. It would have been nice to to have it. I'm sure it was. It was. It was. He, I mean, every time I've met him since, I mean, he's always been such a lovely. He's like one of the nicest people that I've ever worked with or worked for. Yes, because you appeared on. You appeared on Aladdin Sane, didn't you? Yeah. So I what? Did, like, 
few tracks on the luggage, so... Yeah, I mean, because at that well, stage... Well, Panic in Detroit, which is the famous one. Yes, this is true. I mean, that's um, his after the Ziggy period, which was um, obviously things were quite different then. I probably probably the the gears had shifted a bit with David's kind of uh, career at that stage. It was more of a going into space, wasn't it? What was it like? Because after your first couple of albums that you did, which was on Repraise Records, you get signed to Arista, don't you? And then you suddenly have this kind of the American connection and. Um, Work with oh people. yeah, Clive Davis wanted to make me into before he met before he discovered Whitney. Whitney. He he actually wanted to make me into something like Whitney, you know, like uh, you know, doing all the big ballads and and I I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, you know, my my other half, Jim Cregan, produces me, and I, and I'm not gonna do what he said. And part of me kind of regrets that because he obviously had such a lot of success with Whitney yes. but on the other hand I kind of think oh god if I'd have gone down that route what would I have been like would I have been like you know not here anymore probably yeah what was it like because then you you know you you get a lot of kind of people around you including the famous Alan Toussaint Tucson? Alan Tucson, yeah. Tucson. Yes. What was that like working with Alan? That was interesting because Clive was sending me here, there and everywhere. He sent me to New York to do um to, to work with a guy called Bert Dakota who who did We Are Family, you know that song We Are Family. Yes. And we so I worked with him and and Luther Van Dross and Gwen Guthrie and it was like walking into a studio full of all these amazing singers, and I was like this little girl from the East End who, who didn't think I could sing, and I was like, "Oh my God, how am I going to like get past this?" But I, I, I did, you know, I had a big hit from that. I had it, "It's in His Kiss," which was a big hit. Yes. And then, and then Alan, I'm sorry, then Clive wanted to send me to New Orleans to work with Alan Toussaint. And that was kind of, it was great working with Alan, but he was very, very, very sort of mysterious and you couldn't like, you know, hook a time down with him and say, oh, we're going to meet at like five o'clock on Tuesday. Because until he decided what time you're going to meet, and he'd already written <coughs> songs as well, and, I, and I'd written songs, so... We were kind of a little bit in competition with each other, but mm. also we had the great um, backing uh, people who who did, um, you know, most of the stuff like in the midnight hour. And I, I was it was it was it was weird because I w- wasn't really aware of like the people who I was surrounded by. Otherwise, I would have been like, oh my god, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, because they were so amazing uh, musicians and singers and songwriters. And Luther Pantroff, by the way, is another person who was such a lovely person to work with. Right, yes. I mean, was it a little bit of a concept album? Because there's the, you know, side one's vertical, side two's horizontal. I mean, is there a concept behind this? Well, 
was meant to be, <laughs> but it kind of went a bit way. It kind of got waylaid because I let Jim, my then husband, I let him um, produce some of the songs, and Alan produced other songs, which were totally different. The way he produced things was from Jim, so it got a bit kind of crisscrossed, and that's when Alan, not Alan, oh God, what's his name, Clive, Clive, Clive yeah, kind of started going. Well, you're not doing what I'm telling you, so I'm not having, you know, I'm not going to be behind you anymore. So that's when we kind of fell out. Really? Oh, oh no! Not, not in a horrible way, but it was just like he wanted me to be a certain thing that I didn't want to be. I wanted to be my own woman who did my own songs, who wrote my own songs and stuff. You know? Right. That's very different to Whitney, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Did you, I mean, at that stage, and I was very young at this stage, but I do remember being mesmerised by the work of Millie Ripperton. Did, did, um, did... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and it wasn't just her famous single. I sort of started to become obsessed with her, her albums and I suppose a lot of her kind of more f- upbeat funk numbers rather than the, the ballad that she's very famous for. Did, you know, well, your vocal range is extraordinary as well, isn't it? Did, was she somebody that you were kind of influenced I had, by? I had no clue who she was until people started saying, oh, my God, you sound like it. And he just version of... Um, you know, yes. of her, and of saying, oh, you've got the same kind of range and, and things like that. And it was like, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, he ripped it. I'd love to have met her because she sounded like she's a lovely person. Yes. But I never got to meet her. So, no, I, and, I know, and I wasn't aware of her until basically after she had that song, Loving You. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I was going down the disco route by then that was, like, not what I wanted to do, but that's what Clive wanted me to do. So I did. I was trying to appease him, if you know what I mean. Was that Hacienda View that you was... Were you still on Arista at that stage, or had you left Arista? No, I still was with Arista. Yes. So after... But- I've had a few artists who actually Terry's kind of career is like one of those amazing oh you were almost there but it was like just didn't line yeah. up but there's a lot of artists who have had the experience of like they sign for a record company because of um, a particular person who then the next day either drops dead or says Paul McCartney's just asked me to uh, go and work for him and I I can't say no. So, and then the record label go, why have we got this band? I hate them, you know. And they, they just, you know, you've heard, you've probably heard yeah. these stories a million times, haven't you? But it's like moments where things, the stars, sometimes the stars line up and it's bingo. And sometimes you just think, that was so close, but not close yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. It was tricky. Well, 
So disco came along. Yeah. I guess, I mean, in a weird way, because you had that sort of really passionate funk, rock and slightly psychedelic vibe. Did you find a little bit kind of excited when punk started to happen? I'm not saying you were a punk singer at all, but did you like enjoy the energy rather than wanting to become a, a ballad singer? Jury did and Pauline Black and stuff like that, but I wasn't into all the, you know, the Sex Pistols and things like that and the big spiky hair and stuff. I was, I was, I felt like I was a little bit old school. Yes, <laughs> so, it does. Then. It does happen. I think everyone, a lot of artists who've been around for five years were like. Oh, things have completely changed. But then, as, as you know, we get to sort of 70, 79, Thatch, Margaret Thatcher gets in, there's, you know, the, the Falkland War, there's the, the miners' strike, the musical landscape changes again. What do you, how do you tackle the 80s? Were you in London at this stage or had you gone to L.A.? Oh, I'd, I'd um, retired again. <laughs> um, I'd gone and followed my... Then husband Jim Cregan was got married, and he joined Ross Stewart Group. Right. So I, I kind of thought that's it. I'm giving up. I'm going to be a wife. I'm going to be a, just do you know do the dishes and cook and stuff. And so I followed him out to LA, and we lived in this like like mansion with a pool and all kinds of stuff. And that's when I got involved with. Well, I had known Pete Arnold before that, but that's when she came and stayed with me and lived with me for a while because she had nowhere else to go. So, but that was not a nice time of my life. There were so many drugs involved. I mean, everybody was doing too many drugs and I was doing too many drugs. And, and I just remember one day thinking, if I don't go home back to England... I'm not going to survive this, and that's so that's what happened. And then when I came back to England, that was like 1982 or something. Yes. Um, I got a little group going with my two sisters, which we are actually trying to do that again. We're trying to, but without the egos, we're leaving the egos behind. Um, you know, we had a lot of sibling rivalry going on. Um, but we did a couple of tracks that, you know, that we did in Philadelphia that was really good, funky, nice stuff, you know. It's just, it was the wrong time at the wrong place, the kind of thing. Yes. Is this the album A Tear and a Smile, or was this... No, no, that came after, that came after when I, when we broke up the band and it was like, oh, this isn't going to work, so... And then I wasn't really into it. I was not into... I didn't have my heart in it, really. And the tear and a smile went sort of... Like, that went a bit down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, are you sure you want to interview me? I'm yeah, like, no. <laughs> gone down the drain a lot. Well, drains... Tear and a smile, and then after that, I think I did... Um, and then I just left it. I was like, oh, no, I don't. I really actually do not. I've always had a very love-hate relationship with this with this career. Yes. Anyway. So, um, and I was 
again on that thing, like, oh, no, I, I just want to be a normal person because no, I've never really felt like I've had a normal life. I've always, from a little girl, been, you know, presented to someone to, to perform in front of. So I just wanted to have a normal life. and But... So far, I haven't. <laughs> no. Um, but you've had a couple of guest appearances at Glastonbury kind of since that, that iconic moment in the early 70s. Because did you appear again kind of 84 time at Glastonbury and then again in 2000 and something? Oh, yeah, I did like the jazz stage and I did a um, Glastonbury reunion that Perry was supposed to come to and he never turned up. So I've still got, like, you know, I'll still communicate with him now and again. And I go, Terence, you didn't turn up again because he was meant to come to the screening last week as well. Um, and he never turned up. Yeah, he might, so, he might still be in L.A., I guess. When, when... No, I think he's doing some gigs over here because he keeps saying to me, are you coming down to the Jazz Cafe on the 20, 23rd or 24th? I, don't, I can't remember what... In, in, yeah, in. absolutely. He he has because I think he's at Glastonbury this coming week, isn't he, for a, another moment? So, I mean, did you? I mean, at that stage, because your sister is obviously singing with George Michael, isn't she? At that was she had she met George in sort of the early eighties or mid eighties? Well, she sang with Elton first, so um, I don't know why they didn't keep keep going but just one day George called her up and said do you want to come and do uh, uh, the father the father song right I've got you yes Yeah. so she did all the BVs on that and uh, and then my so she's like 10 years younger than me that's Shirley and then there's another one who's 16 years younger than me that's Dee Dee and she does all like she does loads of um, backing vocals for films and stuff. Like she did all the, all of the vocals on um, well, what's that film with Tom Hanks in it when chasing the roundabout Bible or something. All right, no, God, I no, don't... I'm yeah. No. So you're basically all the children became singers. Not all, no. I'm the eldest of six, and there's. So there's three other sisters. One of them cannot sing at all. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, it, 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 we've all got different dads. So that does kind of... I'm right. Wow. A spanner in the works. It does. Um, yeah. My mum was a bit of a bit of a girl in her day. Well, absolutely. Um, so basically so she had six one, children with six different fathers. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah, that's why, that's why my book is going to be... All about her. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you're going to have to put a family tree in because it's going to get quite confusing, yeah, isn't it? It will be. <laughs> Crikey, blimey! Um, yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a first. I've, I've... In those days, especially. I mean, I was born in 1950, so and then there was 152, 154, then one was 1960, one was 66. And then my little brother, who has got an amazing voice, but he 
absolutely refuses to go into the music business. He likes to be more in, you know, involved with 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 social social things, you know, that are mm. going to make people's lives better. And he lives in Australia. Yes, and is is Sylvia another of your sisters? Sylvia? Oh, no, she's not, is she? I just remember reading something about your sister and the Sylvia Mason James, but that's... Oh, a... Sylvia, yeah, no, my sister Shirley uh, worked with Sylvia on, with, on, in the um, band of ballet. Oh, right, God, it's it's tricky. Yeah. So did you... Get, get her mixed up with Shirley, Shirley and... Uh, who's the other one they call Shirley and something Pepsi she's not yeah Pepsi she's not that Shirley right I've got you got you but then I mean you you do sort of plucky in a plucky way still bring out the occasional album because in the mid 90s you brought out was it Second Nature and then that got followed by whatever so there was a couple more kind of studio albums as well as a live album uh, that you know live in Japan so it kind of music's always kind of you know, drawn you back in like some sort of magical moment. Like some kind of claw. Claw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tried not to think about it in a. Yeah. In a... Um, yeah, no, that, that, that was a, song, a songs that I actually was proud of writing on those songs. It just never got the proper attention and it, it never got. It got all mixed up with something else or someone else was having a row about something and it was like, oh, so that's not going to... It only basically came out in Japan. But I had a number one from it in Japan, so that was nice. That's good to be... Yeah, I mean... I think Cheap Trick had a big album live in Japan. But did you... on Was Whatever... That was on Sony, so was that just released in Japan or was that released worldwide? No, just Japan. Right, and then... And uh, some, some of Asia as well. And also, what's the weird thing is, like, um, what's his name? Kanye West has sampled some of my stuff and put it on albums that he's only released in Asia. Wow. Um, so to try and get your hands on the money from him is, like, that's, like, trying to get a wet fish and and trying to, you know, clean it. <laughs> it's impossible. Oh. Be on, on his stuff that he has actually... I would, it's called sampling, but I call it nicked. He nicked, yeah, borrowed. He nicked, he nicked stuff of, my, of, of, of the stuff for, for a guy called Common, actually. I got Jim, yeah, I've come, I've come across that. Yeah. Yeah. And it went number one in the R&B charts and... All kinds of stuff. Old Smokey. Yes, Old Smokey yeah. was cheesy, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So did you, I mean, over the years, did you manage to sort of navigate your publishing and ownership of music or has that just been a bit of a sore point? A sore point. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't really, I don't really have uh, someone like a manager to look after me at the moment and or an agent or anything like that. So I'm a bit kind of in the wind again mm, that's, yeah. yeah so then was last year then was this an album feel feel the feeling is this a compilation or new material 
song that I wrote called Feel the Feeling, but I didn't know there was an album called I, Feel the Feeling. I just saw a sort of discography and it just had, and it starts with When the Lights Go Down and then What Are You Asking oh. Me For? Is that a kind of compilation? That, that's like a, co- a compilation because I wrote stuff with them. Um, and, and recorded stuff with um, that band who I can't remember. Oh, is that Basement Jack? Basement, basement Jack, yeah, Basement Jack. It's really nice people. Yeah. But um, I didn't know there was an actual compilation that came out. Thanks for telling me. I'll try and get my... <laughs> <laughs> try and try get a copy get of them. Work on that. Yes, I think you should. Because if you look at yeah. Dissogs, it has a picture of... With you, your face on on it, on the cover. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep a track and all these things, isn't it? Yes. So was that the... When was the last time you went into a recording studio to um, put anything new out? Oh, before before all the pandemic stuff happened. Right. So So quite a while ago, and it actually did give me... um, You know, it says it has... It had a lot of um, people who've got any any kind of mental illnesses. It it had effect. It, it affects people like that, and and that did affect me quite a lot. Yeah, so I had, had to get sort of therapy and and everything. And yeah, it affected yeah. me in a, in a in a very bad way. Oh God! Yeah. Well, it's sort of. It's well, been... I'm just coming out the other end now. It's like I've gone in like this dark tunnel, and gone down, down the sort of rabbit hole. You're like back to work rabbit again. Yes. Um. Uh, I just feel like I'm just about coming out now. Right. So that is good. God, I'm so I'm sort of sorry to hear that because that's never very nice to hear. Um have those kind of experiences of stress, anxiety, depression, which is always quite heavy, especially in the last... Yeah. It hasn't been... Very... Do you have any kind of projects that, you know, are looking lightly in the next year or so? Well, the only only things are the ones that I mentioned about with my two sisters, Shirley and Dee Dee, which are um, songs... We want, to, we want to do songs that our mum used to sing to us because she was always singing and we wanted to make a tribute to her. Yes. And then also um, with the... Oh, God, I've forgotten the name again. What did you say the name was? <laughs> My brain's not working today. It's not spanned about it. The other people... Um, you know, that we just said... Oh, the Basement Jacks guys. Yeah, yeah um going to do something with um, Felix from, from Basement Jacks. Fantastic. But I'm not. I'm not really hot on. I'm not really hot on all the computer things. So it that kind of holds me up quite a lot. Yes, I know. I can. I can relate to that as sometimes getting stuck. Can you? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, God, I, I mean, when I get stuck and someone says, oh, we have to Google the problem, it's like, oh, don't, I don't want to Google the problem. It's just, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it's out there, but I just want someone to click the mouse about three times and go, oh, it's done now. Oh, good. There you right. Go. So that's, that's kind oh, of it. You're just a baby. <laughs> 
compared to me. I don't know. I mean, it frighteningly, I'm sort of nearly 60, so that's a bit weird. But it's good to still, you know, be be walking and talking. How, so, yeah, so you've got, um, yeah, and so well, you did mention potentially a book. Is this something that you've been working on or thinking of working on? I've been working on this book for about four years now. I've, I've just been... It's in the back of my head all the time. I've got, I've done so many thousands of words, um, which everyone goes, wow, you know, you're nearly there. But to me, it feels like, no, but I have to start again. I have to start again because it's not the right start. It's like getting started is the, the, the thing, you know? Yes, it's... Um, and... I have to get started because there's so many different ways you can start. Absolutely. Um, and that's... Um, and also finish and, and also edit, really. That's, that, mm. that's always the thing. I mean, did you... You know, I had someone who was a writer and they were helping me. They were, you know, we would talk to each other on the phone every day. Um, but then he started writing in in not the word, not the way that I talk. He said, and, and one of my sisters read it and she said, "Oh my God, it sounds like a Charles Dickens novel." <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds so dark and gloomy and gloomy because you know, in the fifties, if you were black in the fifties and you were, you were, it 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 wasn't that happy. It was it was quite a hard thing to get through. Yes, I could imagine. It was um, even... Yeah. yeah. I don't want it to be, you know, I want it to be kind of taking the mickey out of myself a little bit, but letting people know, like, the stuff that you can go through if you you do get into this backed up into a corner kind of thing. Yeah, because this... um... Marshall Cohen, who's brought this book out on Bell Records and Arista, there's an amazing photograph. Actually, you 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 appear in it, a little you know. Really? Yeah, and and there's a photo. Yes, yeah, a little mention of you. I think because because you're part of the Arista, but there's a photograph of on a TV show, Supersonic, in 1975. Oh, yeah. With with Alvin Stardust and David Essex and. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the great Gilbert O'Sullivan and um, yes, Susie Quattro. Can you remember much kind of about that scene and and those those kind of moments when you were hoisted onto TV shows? Yeah, I can remember. Like that was when I had all the fame from it, Cindy's Kiss, and um, the producer from that show, whose whose name I can't remember, but he absolutely adored me so he always put me on those shows all the time and we, we always had a brilliant time like you know the guys from Mud and David and Alvin and lots of them have kind of gone now but yeah we had really say uh, Dennis Waterman people like that you know just like it was just seemed like it wasn't work it was like fun yes so, the good, yeah. yes, that was the um, that mid mid fifty uh, mid fifties mid seventies period. I mean, did you manage to? I mean, how did you protect and work with your voice? Because obviously, it's an extraordinary vocal you have. Did you have to uh, take lessons, or did you have to do some extra work to maintain it? 
No, it would have been better if I had her because, you know, like the very, very top top notes of my range are very kind of, ooh, they're on the iffy road kind of thing. But, yeah, I know, I know, the, I know the tricks that singers do when they can't hit hit those notes well they bring they bring the key down for a change for a, for a start yes and then you when you hit those notes you put you put the mic out into the audience so they all sing it instead of <laughs> <laughs> well you sing it as well but it's just like it's nice that they if they all know the song yes. they can sing the song yeah. yeah. Were you um, a bit later on in the world of R&B and people like Beyonce and um, um, Mar- Mariah Carey? Did you were you impressed with their kind of vocal gymnastics, or did you find that a little bit blimey? That's a bit technical. Oh uh, no! When you when you first hear Mariah and and um, Beyonce, you know I'm very respectful of what they can do but that could get on your nerves after a while um i prefer listening to the really old time old time old time like the holiday um you know um nielsen and um you know people like that yes Um, johnny mitchell of course um i prefer to hear the actual tune, not yeah. like everything going everywhere and doing all the vocal acrobats, as you said, aerobics. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, looking at your kind of albums and releases, I mean, which one are you most proud of? Which is the one that you think you would definitely happily listen to it again? Definitely Lark, because I had, I only have like sort of really really happy memories about that and it just all seemed a lark that's why I called it lark because it just seemed like a lark the whole time and the other one um not kiss of life um the one before that say no more no the one that I had in Japan when it first came out um Ooh, that one. second nature <laughs> Yeah, I love the songs on that. I think the songs on that are really good. And, and if people would, you know, got a chance to hear it, it would, it would really be lovely because it still has got a, a great essence about it. Yeah. So. Well, because it's, in, it's interesting because on Spotify, um, your monthly listener listening figures are like just off fifty thousand a month. So. You obviously is that still, good? It's pretty, yeah, it is, I think it's good. I mean, obviously it doesn't sort of relate to much money probably, but, you know, there's an awful lot of people still sort of listening to your music. So on some small well, level, that must feel quite pleasing. Well, yeah, it does, because you've only just told me about it and I didn't know. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. So, I, I mean, I, I keep meaning to go to this, person that Tina Charles went to and she got uh, all all of the money that she was owed and she was owed thousands and thousands and apparently somewhere in the world I am as well I just need this person to go out and find it that would be nice wouldn't it 
That oh. would be nice. That would give you an unfind. Um, go on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, buy a tent and go to Glastonbury next week. No, that would be horrible. Just go for a day. No, I'm not. I'm too old. I used to go in the late 80s and early 90s, but there was that moment where I thought, oh, I saw David Bowie in 2000, and then, and that was good. And then I just thought, actually, I can't do this. It's six days of Glastonbury just finishes, finished me off, really. So um, eventually oh you God. have to say goodbye and say, that's, that's, my, that's my lot done. I can't do this yeah. anymore. No, I, I don't do mud anymore. I can't, I can't do mud. No. If I if I have like a nice hotel to go to afterwards or something, that'd be different. That'd be lovely. I mean, if there was one thing or several things you could tell or or, or mention to your sixteen year old self, you know, if you if you could have met that person, is there any is there any key kind of a uh, bit of advice or um, yeah, sort of words of wisdom that you might have just said? Oh, I'll just tell you a few things. You might ignore it, but. Here, have them anyway. I would say probably don't take it so seriously and really just enjoy the moment. Like enjoy being picked up by limos and not sort of cower in the background thinking, Oh my god, I'm not I'm not worth this. Like think of my think of myself as worthy as I was, as I am that sort of thing. Think of myself as worthy. Yes. Yeah. Worth it. Worth it, really. Yeah. It's not just my mum. It's not just for her. It's for, it's for me as well. Yeah, it must be Yeah, it must be surreal remembering some of those kind of showbiz LA moments, hanging out yeah. with, with various people. And when was the last time you, you sort of spoke to... David Bowie was was did you sort of have the occasional through the sort of seventies and eighties? Mm. Did you keep a certain you know communication the going? Last time I saw, last time I, I saw him, he, he was backstage at I think it was Beach Boys thing, and um, not long before he died, and I just walked past him and saw him and I went, "Oh, David!" And he went, "Oh, Linda!" And we both hugged and you know, but we never like. I mean, I wish I had stayed in touch with him more, but I'm not the sort of person who does the hard work like that. So, yeah, yeah. I wish I had stayed in touch. And, and the same with Mark, with Mark Bolan, and, and the same with John Martin, the same with all those people who were... I mean, I used to go up to Scotland quite a bit and go see John and Martin every now and again. Um yeah. But yeah, so just to keep keep in touch like you would your old school friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's quite amazing. Yeah. I guess I guess you did a lot of backing vocals over the decades, haven't you? So you'll probably appear on a lot of people's work. Yeah, I do a lot and then I forget and it's like, Oh my god, I should put that down because I should be getting royalties from that. Like, you know, like, yes, I did stuff for Yes, I did stuff for Man From Ever Band, I did stuff for um, Meatloaf, um, just like those people. And when people mention them, it's like, oh, Johnny, I know those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? I just forget that, I forget. 
Yes, easily done. Well, what was the Yes album you worked on or period? Oh, God, that was like one of the the first or the second one, and I can't even remember the tracks, but I did it with um, these amazing singers, Madeline Bell and Leslie Duncan, and, you know, like they gave us music notes to look at, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to read music. And... um. They just said, oh, just pretend, you know, and just follow the notes, and that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Like, listen, to, listen to what's going on, and then you see the music going up and down, duh, 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 and then you just just catch on really quickly. Yeah, quite quickly. And what was and what was your what was the Meatloaf album? Because I know he was sometimes quite. Oh well, don't ask me the titles of things because I'm absolutely. You should talk to my sister Shirley because she she knows every little thing of like titles and things. Oh, I mean, don't... I find it hard to remember my next door neighbour's name, <laughs> let alone anything else. Like when they did that interview for me for Glastonbury. And I went to the screening of it last week, and I just—I know people were laughing and having a really good time, but I can't remember what I said. I mean, all of it was true, but it was like—it was such a long time. Everything seems such a long time, especially with all this pandemic stuff. It just seems everything's like time has stretched out to a, such a degree that you can't really. Trying to put your finger on anything properly. No, no, it's been yeah. it's been a very strange decade. I'm not quite sure how we'll look back on it. So um, yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. Well, look, Linda, this is amazing. I know. I'm so pleased, oh. and thank you ever so much for your time. This no, is welcome. This has been fantastic. I know. And uh, there you go. Sorry, I was going to be. So when when does it get played? If you yeah, well, I could put this out. Um, Hopefully next week. So I can always send you a link and then you can um, store it in your... I don't... Actually, you can put it on your Facebook page. I know, I know, I know how to do links. You oh. Press and it says link and then you get it. But look, look, uh, try and listen to that um, podcast that my sisters did as well called A Third Above. Oh, A Third Above. Right, I'm going to... A gonna... Third Above, which we know what... Do you know what A Third Above means? No, I don't actually... Oh, well, it's the harmony that you do. If you do a th- you do the you do the melody, and you do a third below, you do a third above, you do a fifth above, and you keep going to you know you're out of the stratosphere, like Mariah Carey. Yeah, and did you ever watch a film called Is it Twenty Feet from the Mic or some... Oh, Twenty Feet from Sardin. Yeah, I love that. And did that feel? Yeah. Yes, and how did that? I mean. I mean, you weren't really a backing. Well, you weren't really a complete backing. No, but we 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 did want to do something with it the, because they were all American people, weren't they? We want we wanted to do something with it with the English people who are. I mean, there's some amazing ones. I mean, unfortunately, say uh, Sam Brown, she's lost her voice completely, but she was one of the brilliant backup backing vocalist along with her mum Vicky Brown. Yeah. Like and people you know, they we always got like books, like four of us at a time and then when I started having my my own fame, I always booked 
the same people because they were just so, you know, they just got the thing straight away. Yeah, because that's, um, <laughs> I'd forgot, yes, yeah, Sam Brown, because I know there's a woman, another woman, I think she's from India or the Middle East called Sheila Kanshandra, who did a song called Ever So Lonely, and she also lost her voice as well, I do believe, because I did oh. an in- interview and that was yeah. like, and you know, it, her life was all about her voice and singing, so it was oh. horrendous, so um, yeah. terrible. Well, thanks so far. I've still got my voice, thank you. Yes, I know, that would just be another yeah. thing to... Um, yeah, but look, I will check out that podcast and your interview. Which yeah. Will, it would be oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, look, this has been amazing. Thank you ever so much, Linda. And um, I, will, I will be checking Glastonbury tonight. But I've seen oh. that little clip with you and Terry <laughs> so many times. But it's still, it's, okay. still a, it's still a cosmic moment, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's all day. Okay, well, have a nice rest of the day and everything. Yeah, you too. Take care. See you later. All right, bye. Bye-bye. And that was me in conversation with Linda Lewis. Um, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's the C86 Show. I've also been doing, um, I've done quite a lot of these interviews, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, C86 Show. A massive thank you again to Linda Lewis for giving me the time for that interview.